It's uh, a joy and a pleasure for me to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us, both in person in the room here and online. Thank you for arranging your life. And some of you, it takes some work. Hurry over after work or uh, get up the kids early and all that. And especially, isn't it a joy this time of year to be here in person? See the smiling faces, walk in and see the decorations, uh, 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 hear the music around the building, and then join together and participating in worship, participating in the church. It's a joy during this season. We're in a three-week teaching series focused on Advent, but the idea of Advent is waiting. Now, in our culture, we, we don't do much with waiting. The day after Thanksgiving, we begin to celebrate. We celebrate Christmas, we have parties, we sing songs of celebration, and, and we do that. And traditionally, in the church calendar, though, the Advent was about waiting. It was about waiting. And so last week, right in here, Doug uh, reminded us that the Jewish nation waited for the first birth of Jesus in the manger. And he talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah and how they waited into old age to have this baby, and then they had John the Baptist. And so uh, Doug talked about how we get wisdom and maturity by waiting. And uh, next week, Andrea is going to be here, and she's going to talk about we're also still in waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And our world is groaning, and many of us uh, understand how broken this world we live in. And one day, Jesus comes back a second time. And he makes everything right, everything just, everything as it should be. No more death, no more tears, no more pain, no more grief. Now, today, that's Andrea, you won't want to miss that. Uh, today, though, my job is to talk about, my assignment is to talk about how we wait for Jesus to show up in our everyday lives. Actually, um, we wait to understand he's present in our everyday lives. We wait for him every day. Now, before we get to waiting, I wanted to say a few things about uh, the importance of uh, like Advent and Christmas traditions. We, your family has traditions, uh, I hope, uh, and I hope you're leaning into them. That's what I want to encourage you to do. Our family has traditions. And the first thing I want to say about your Christmas traditions, they don't need to make sense. They absolutely don't need to make sense. Uh, they don't need to be reasonable. They don't need to be, you know, cost effective. Traditions are a foundation. As I was in youth ministry and now as I've raised my kids and I've watched my grandkids grow up and now take off for college, I've understood Traditions are a foundation, and especially during high school and college and young adult years, those traditions are an important family foundation. So you need to have traditions, and they don't need to make sense, but you need to keep building your, you know, uh, and Christmas is a great time for them. So for us, one of our traditions is the morning after Thanksgiving, Friday morning, uh, we uh, have the tradition for probably 50 years of going and buying a Christmas tree, a live Christmas tree, and we cut it down. And um, this year, uh, for more than 20 years, we've been actually, well, for about 20 years, we've been actually getting in the same vehicle to do it. And I have a slide of the vehicle. <laughs> it's an orange truck, 1997, that Ben bought, my son Ben, 
who's in heaven now, uh, bought for, uh, at a DOT auction. And actually, he bought it by mistake. Uh, here's the story. According to Ben, the truck he really wanted was uh, later in the auction, but he had never been to an auction, so he thought he should practice. So he was going to practice bidding and quit before it got too late. He didn't want this truck. But we've been using it to pick up our Christmas tree. So 7.30, we get in the truck and we go and pick up uh, Aaron and Dan and Kaya. They have a second vehicle. They follow us out to uh, uh, the uh, Pines. Uh, Wapsie Pines. Thank you. Wapsie Pines uh, Tree Farm. And uh, this year, uh, it opens at 9. We got there at 8.15. 100 cars already in line. 100 cars. By the time they open the gate, there's 100 cars ahead of us and 100 cars behind us. Um, it's almost, it's an, at least an hour and a half, maybe an hour 45 before I even get to the gate to get my saw. Now, um, and then we choose the tree and all that. Here's a tree we chose. Again, traditions, nine and a half feet tall um, uh, 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 trees. Um, my wife turns to me and says, as we're driving out, Dave, I'm surprised you can wait this long to get a tree. I'm not a good waiter. I'm terrible. We have the coffee machine we have because I cannot wait for my first cup of coffee, right? My wife, when we do Christmas shopping, which is not very often, she goes and scouts first to find out exactly where she wants to take me and what she wants to show me um, because I only have a few minutes of shopping in me, <laughs> right? I mean, and some of you are not that good at waiting either. Now, traditions. Traditions don't have to make sense um, at all. We have a tradition because my son did this. When my grandkids come in for our Christmas weekend, I will hand them a couple cans, empty cans of pop, and they will go find a place to put them on the tree. Just because that's what we do. We have a Noel on the fireplace, and my grandkids come in and make other words out of it. Twisting, turning the letters and all that. That's just what we do. And as they're in high school and college, and young adult, and forming their own families, the traditions you do are a part of the foundation, so stay at it. Stay at it. Um, and again, they don't have to make sense. Our Christmas Day lunch, Christmas Day lunch is sloppy joes and french fries. That does not make sense. So you have traditions that don't make sense. Now, back to waiting. Many good and many hard things in life require waiting. And waiting, and waiting, and waiting. If you're pregnant, the wait is nine months. And some of you have waited for years to even be pregnant. If you're starting kindergarten, the wait to graduation is 13 years. If you're starting, if you're a freshman at UNI, the wait for graduation is like four, five, six, seven years. <laughs> Some of you have been waiting for a loved one 
to change or come to faith or grow up or say they're sorry for decades. We live in a broken world where waiting is a part of our reality. We wait for good and we wait through grief. We found ourselves waiting after the scan, the tryout, the interview, the birth, the death, the surgery, always waiting. And again, many of us are not good at waiting and we don't understand why we have to wait, but we do. I look out and I see your faces and I can actually name the things you're waiting for. Those of you I know, you're waiting for full healing. You're waiting to get that call from your grandkids. You're waiting for them to come visit. You have a parent that's really sick, and you're waiting them to pass into heaven. And waiting is hard, really hard, and it requires perseverance. As the baby is sick and crying much of the night, you're waiting for morning. As the bills pile up and you can't seem to make financial progress, you're waiting for help. As your job continues to be a dead end, you go, this isn't the way life should be. You're waiting for new life. And again, one I often hear is, I'm waiting for the loved one to re-engage. Waiting's been a focus of the church at Advent for a lot of years, and I never actually knew it. I never actually knew it. Um, a lot of you grew up in traditional churches where you had the uh, Advent candles. And in this church, for years and years and years, and I look out and I see some of our families, you were the families who came up and read this paper as we lit candle one on week one of Advent, and then candle two on week two of Advent, and candle three and candle four week, and then the Christ candle in the middle. You, you remember that? Traditional church. I never knew. My wife said, Dave, what is wrong with you? How could you not know this? I never knew these, this was about waiting. I knew families got up here and read some paper. I knew that we lit one candle one week and two the next and three. I didn't realize the purpose of it was to focus on waiting. I was in the meeting where we got rid of these. Tim Walston said they unpacked the Christmas decorations. We still have a couple. Advent candles. So, waiting for God to show up in our daily lives and make things a little more right, a little more like they should be. Now, we're going to groan as we wait. Romans 8. Take a look at this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So even all of this world, all of this creation is groaning because of the brokenness that came with sin. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So those of, those of us who are Christ followers, who have the Holy Spirit in us, the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, that new day. The redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. And this is next week's sermon. For 
you know, the redemption of our bodies, for Christ to come and make things all right. For in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. So the question is, how do we increase our patience in waiting for things to be the way they should be? Three practices that I want to bring you this morning, three practices that I want to show you this morning. Uh, these are three tools, because we're not helpless in getting better at waiting. We actually can get better at waiting, and here's the three practices. First, we surrender. Then we trust God. And then we build inside ourselves hope. And that makes us better at waiting. Before I dive into those three practices, though, I started reading the Christmas story from those scriptures. And, like, I wanted to know, uh, was waiting a part of that first Christmas? And uh, take a look at this. I was shocked at how much waiting there is in the first Christmas story. Uh, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is actually the first verse in my mind of the Christmas story, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Before the virgin's name was Mary. Before the story even starts... What's Mary doing? She's waiting. She's waiting to be the wife of Joseph. That's a wait. So before the story even starts, she's waiting. Here's something else I found in there. I mean, there's a lot of it. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. After the angel tells Mary what's going to happen, you're going to be the virgin mother of the Son of God. God's Spirit's going to come on you. Uh, I, here's what Mary says. Uh, verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your, word to be to, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. And what is she left to do? Wait. What would be your questions? How's it going to happen? How is God's spirit going to get me pregnant? How's that going to work? And what's Joseph going to think? And what's my mom and dad going to think? And what's the community going to think? And how long is this going to be? She's waiting and waiting. It's everywhere in the story. Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, and what's Elizabeth and Zachariah doing? They're waiting. The story's filled with waiting. Uh, after Jesus is born, eight days old, they take Jesus to the temple, and the Holy Spirit brought a man named Simeon there who's been waiting. Uh, this is uh, Luke 2. 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he was waiting in his daily life for God to show up. And all of a sudden, one day, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Leave that up there a minute. A soul will pierce your own soul too. I had a mother come up to me after I taught this last Sunday at Grundy County. She just raced down the aisle. And she said, tell moms and dads that that's true of every parent. That every parent, because of the deep love we have for kids, has a sword pierce our own hearts sometimes. She said, tell, tell them that. And grandmas and grandpas. A soul will pierce. It's a part of this waiting. It's a part of this broken world we live in. Their lives and our lives are filled with waiting and groaning. And God shows up with good gifts. And then we're waiting and groaning again. And then God shows up with good gifts. And then we're waiting and groaning. And you could actually, it's like the two rails we talk about often. In the same eras, in the same week, there's such good gifts and such tough happenings. So much grief. So three tools. Three tools to help us increase our ability to wait during the hard times. And these tools work together. And I, I just wanted to encourage you this Christmas with these tools. And the first practice that will help us wait to see how Jesus will show up with these good gifts, is this practice of surrender. And I've taught this a lot here, surrender. Just You've got problems and griefs and hard times, and you're holding on to them, and sometimes you just need to surrender them to God. Put them in his hands. Put them in his hands. I surrender my life, my health, my children, my finances. But you do it ahead of the hard times. You, like, get in the habit in the mornings. Sunday afternoons, I don't know when you're going to do it, but you regularly surrender. You want to be married one day and the person isn't in your life yet? You surrender it. You hope to have this particular profession? You surrender it. You hope to be able to be in touch with God better than you ever could? You surrender it. You surrender it. You surrender the diagnosis. Uh, one of the places you have to surrender, those of you going into surgery and you're laying on that hard table and you've got that sheet over you and you're ready to be wheeled in. And isn't that a place to surrender? God, you were in charge yesterday and you're still in charge today. Surrender. That helps us wait. That helps us um, uh, with, the, with the, the hope. You're visiting grandma in hospice and she says... Uh, like my mom, I'm ready to go. And you just hope they can go. Surrender it. Surrender it. Um, last week, another uh, parent came up after the service and said, Dave, tell them surrendering's the hardest. Of all three, surrendering's the hardest because you want to control stuff. You just want to control stuff. You want to take control. And many of you and I have learned over and over the most important things in our life we have absolutely no control over. None. 
You have no control over whether your heart keeps beating this afternoon or not. You have no control whether your family member gets killed in an auto wreck tomorrow. You have no control of everything important. So why do we go around controlling little stuff? Why don't we surrender? It's the broken world we live in. So after your interview for a new job, on your way home for Christmas, surrender. Whisper a surrender prayer to God. Uh, you can surrender because you trust. Why do you trust? Why do you trust God? Because he's been faithful to you in the past. That's how you increase your trust. You remember God was faithful. He was faithful to me in high school. I didn't even know it. He was faithful to me in my college years. He was faithful to me during young adult years. And you start to um, build trust by remembering his faithfulness. So much of the Bible talks about remembering. If you're not trusting very well these days, start remembering. Remembering he brought you through that surgery. Remembering he helped you find your spouse. Remembering he was with you during that grief. You surrender and you trust a God who has been faithful to you and to this world. And then, what do you do? You fan the flame of hope. You see, I think sometimes in our world, we think, well, just some people are more hopeful than other people. And I'm just not that hopeful of a person. That's what some of us think. No. It's like a muscle that you actually build. You become a more hope-filled person by surrendering, by trusting God and his faithfulness, and by hoping in the correct thing. This is important. Your hope isn't built on God gives you what you want. Hear that again. Your hope isn't built on God's going to give you what you want. If you're hoping in God's going to give you what you want, you're not going to be filled with hope. Your hope comes from God is with me as we do this journey together. And I may or may not get what I want. And lots of times we don't. Lots of times we don't get what we want. And sometimes that's for good and sometimes that's for bad. Because we're in a broken world. Something in this world is going to pierce your soul. Some sword is going to pierce your soul. But that day, God is with you. He is with you. Our hope cannot be based in a destination that God will give us what I want. Our hope has to be based in the fact that he's promised to be with us every single day day I don't know what you wait for today I don't there's so many things and I know that for some of you uh, Christmas is painful it's the first holiday or the first Christmas without a loved one so for some of you it's painful but the good news the reason for the lights the celebration is God has promised he's going to be with us and he showed us that by sending his son and putting him in the manger.
God, help us remember deeply. I'll pray. Dear God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, into a manger. Could that be front and center for every uh, Christmas celebration we do? Could his birth, his person, his work, even his death on the cross be a focus for us this Christmas? Could this Christmas celebration be a part of filling us with hope? Could we together, as we come together and sing these songs, these carols, uh, could it remind us that uh, all up and down the rows here in this room and even at home online, we're together as a people remembering the good news of Christmas, Christ. Prophesied in the Old Testament, born of a virgin, living in heaven today, is Jesus. Help us be a people who are filled with hope. Hope that comes from knowing and trusting that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.